Tonight on Huckabee, divided Democrats, former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Impeachment, the sequel with Rudy Giuliani. Film star John Schneider. And country music's Tim Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Ah, thank you, everybody. We're so glad we got a great audience here. You are not going to believe who has tried to get tickets to the show today. Out front of our theater here in Hendersonville, just outside of Nashville, uh, you know, people have to get their tickets in advance. And there was a gentleman who tried so hard to get into the show tonight. We took a picture of him. We want to show it to you. There he was out there all by himself today, tried to get in. But at least he was dressed for the cold. Good for him. We told him if he comes back next week, we'll try to squeeze him in to our audience. Wow. Mm. He wanted a recount on the tickets. He did. He re <laughs> And he may get it, too. All right. What a week. Joe Biden became the 46th president on Wednesday. And he said he wanted to fight as hard for the people who didn't vote for him in order to promote unity. But then he proceeded to imply that anyone who voted for President Donald Trump was a racist, a white nationalist, or an imbecile who needs to be deprogrammed and re-educated. Boy, that really warmed the hearts of 74 million people. Now look, I'm not gonna spend the next four years screaming that Biden is not my president. I, I think that's ridiculous, because he is my president. I honestly can't fault Joe Biden, even for issuing a stack of executive orders that undid pretty much everything Donald Trump did by executive orders in his four years as president. Because as we all should know, elections have consequences. So with a stroke of a pen, Joe Biden opened the borders to illegal immigrants who are now rushing to get in so we can educate them, give them health care, let them vote, and compete with your kids for jobs. He stopped the Keystone Pipeline. That means fuel prices in the U.S. are going to jump up. We're going to tick off Canada. Just killed 11,000 U.S. jobs immediately, and it'll return us from being energy independent to once again having to beg the Saudis for oil. Now, this really helps the Russians, who've all been bankrupted by the Trump energy policies, which put America first. So for all the lies told about Donald Trump colluding with the Russians, it turns out that Russia's real friend ain't Donald Trump, it's Joe Biden. I mean, in, that's true. In all, in his first hours as president, Joe Biden signed about 17 executive orders to undo the policies of Donald Trump. And let's just be honest, that's what happens in an election. You don't just lose power, you change direction. And if you just liked Joe Biden's personality more than Donald Trump's, then hopefully you won't mind paying for it. And you will pay for it. Yeah. But it is not the big government economic policies that are going to disturb me the most. It really isn't. 
It's endangering our ally Israel by getting back into the deal with Iran, the world's largest sponsor of state-owned terrorism. It's pushing a pro-abortion agenda that believes that it's normal and okay to take the life of a baby right up until the moment of birth and force you to pay for that horrific procedure with your tax dollars. It's forcing institutions and schools to play along with this fiction that a person's gender can be decided by just imagining it to be, regardless of the science of biology, as well as the Bible that says that there are two genders, male and female. But don't expect to be given the truth about what Joe Biden does or doesn't do from the media. No, no, no. Their hate of Trump was so intense that even after mocking him for saying that we would get a vaccine before the end of the year when he launched Operation Warp Speed, which he delivered, and they dived into their arrogance and never admitted that they were wrong, or have they, or will they ever give him any credit for that? Look, our country is truly divided. And while I hope President Biden will try to bring the nation together, he can't if he doesn't recognize that 74 million of us see the world a little differently. But we're not racist. White supremacists are nativist. We love God, we love our families, and we love our country. And you know what? Yeah. We actually think America is good. Not perfect, but good. And a whole lot better than it was. And I guess even the leftists are starting to agree with us. You know how I know that? The leftists are starting to realize America is a great country because when Lady Gaga sang the national anthem at the inauguration, not one person took a knee. How about that? Well, many Americans are concerned about where our country is headed under the new administration. As the Democrat Party seems to have shifted further and further to the left, moderate Democrats seem harder and harder to find. And it begs the question, is unity really possible in our deeply divided country? And where are we going the next few years? Here to answer those questions and a few more is a Democrat for whom I have the highest respect due to her straightforward and civil nature, former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Congresswoman, welcome back. I want to begin by talking about uh, an area of in interest I know you care deeply about. You served in the National Guard, later in uh, Iraq, in combat, one of the few members of Congress to have ever done that. National Guard this week were put out uh, on a parking lot for a while to rest, and it's been controversial, as it should be. It seemed like a real uh, denigration to those troops. What was your reaction when you saw those uh, men and women out there from the National Guard essentially shoved out of the Capitol inside and forced to take their breaks out in a parking lot? It, it made me so sick, uh, and it made me so angry. I started seeing these pictures popping up. You know, we had 20, over 25,000 National Guard soldiers who on very, very short notice dropped everything, went to Washington, D.C., and then to be told a couple days later, Thanks, guys. We got our photo ops. Uh, we don't need you anymore. And then to see them pushed into one of the parking lots that I probably parked in many times 
uh, when I was there working and serving in Washington and knowing how cold and dark and dank and unhealthy a situation that was for anybody to be for hours and hours. It's just yet another of many uh, uh, offensive slaps in the face to the men and women who are willing to lay their lives down for our country and for all of us. I certainly hope it never happens again. Something else I hope it never happens again is the deep division in this country, and it has been intense. Uh, President Biden said the right things at the inaugural address, for which I appreciated, uh, saying that he wanted to fight as hard for the people who didn't vote for him as the people who did. But how is that possible if Congress pursues impeachment of a president who is no longer there? They can't remove him. He's already been removed. What would your advice be to Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and other Democrats with whom you have served about the impeachment? Well, I actually want to focus on President Biden because you're right. He uh, gave a very powerful speech on Inauguration Day. As you mentioned, he talked about the need for us to come together as a country, the need for us to not demonize political opponents, to, to be able to invite and to welcome everyone, whether they agree or disagree. This is the kind of leadership that our, our country needs now, and I really hope President Biden uh, does what he has promised to do. My concern is that we are seeing the exact opposite starting to happen, where this demonization of, frankly, anybody who voted for Trump maybe anybody who may attended one of his rallies, people who uh, voted for his political opponent, basically being demonized. And to take it a step further, now you have people like former CIA uh, director John Brennan, uh, others within Washington who are calling for essentially a targeting of this broad swath of Americans under the guise of, of fighting white supremacy. Uh, so I think this is a really important thing for us to address because President Biden needs to lead. And, and he said in his, his speeches, well, he wants to defeat white supremacy. What, what is he really talking about here? He needs to clarify and be very specific because the ideology of white supremacy that, that you and I uh, know of is, is the one held by the KKK and Nazis that I think just about every American would denounce and reject as Absolutely. something that is directly counter to our values as Americans. But if you've got people like John Brennan and other very influential people in Washington uh, essentially calling for half of the country to be targeted, there is no way that we get past the divisiveness and the pain and the wounds that we are feeling right now as a country. And, and he needs to denounce them and the words that they are saying that are further tearing us apart. I hope... Uh he and other people in Washington will listen to you. Regards to social media, many of the big tech companies have essentially just shut out any voice that doesn't agree with left of center point of view. And then that goes further where you have people like Maxine Waters calling for these people to be shouted down in public places at restaurants and stores and others who demand the so-called Lincoln Project made up of supposed Republicans saying no one who ever served in the Trump administration should ever get hired for a job ever in their lives. I, I just don't see that as helping this country uh, and bringing any sense of unity. It's not. It actually further takes us in, in the wrong uh, in the wrong and dangerous direction that does not represent the democratic values that our country was founded on. 
So this censorship that we are seeing, including the censorship of Donald Trump online, is something that, that we see in dictatorship, uh, in di countries led by dictators, right, where uh, the dictator knows what's best and we don't want other people hearing from individuals who we disagree with because they might actually influence them or they might believe the things that we're saying. And we don't want that because those things are terrible and they're wrong in, in this person's, this dictator's opinion. And so they start shutting down their opponents. They start shutting down free speech uh, because they only want their voice, their narrative, and their message to be heard. So this is, this is no surprise that we've seen people like Angela Merkel and, and the president of Mexico and other world leaders step up and say, hold on a second. What these big tech companies are doing in America is incredibly dangerous. And, and they understand from history of, of where this ends up. Uh, not only is this more divisive, it, it just further um, undermines the very principles that our founders laid out for us in this country. Well, Tulsi, I truly appreciate you having the courage and always taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for joining us. And I want to say to our audience, you can follow Tulsi Thank on you. social media at Tulsi Gabbard. And also check out TulsiGabbard.com for more. Uh, for the latest on a whole lot of our show, we're going to turn to Keith Bilbrey. But before I do, I want to tell you, Tulsi has a brand new podcast. It's about to launch. So if you go to her website, you'll be able to sign up for it. And I hope you will. She's one of the true voices of reason. And uh, we're delighted to uh, have her on the program. So you might want to follow her. Right now, here's our own Keith Bilbrey. Coming up, impeachment updates with Rudy Giuliani and Hollywood star John Schneider. Later, country music's Tim Atwood honors a fallen veteran's family on Huckabee. Next week on Huckabee, football and baseball pro Tim Tebow and rock and roll Hall of Famer Richie Furey. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. Rudy Giuliani is the former mayor of New York City. He's known as America's mayor, and he's been personal attorney to President Donald Trump. Yet with another impeachment trial on the horizon for the now former president, there's a lot of questions to be asked about how that's going to proceed. With us now to give us some clarity on that and what we can expect from President Trump moving forward is our friend Rudy Giuliani. Welcome back, Mayor. Let's get right into it. Are you going to be part of the legal team? Well, thank you for having me. I won't be in court, but I'll be part of the legal team giving advice, unless they are uh, not willing to call me as a witness, and it shapes up that way. If it shapes up so I don't have to be a witness and we go into a real trial, then I hopefully will be a big part of that. You know, many constitutional scholars, we had Alan Dershowitz on last week, and I've heard Jonathan Turley also say, two highly esteemed constitutionalists, that uh, there's no basis for an impeachment trial. Do you agree with that assessment? Well, I'm not quite the constitutional lawyer as they are, but I got an A in constitutional law, <laughs> that helps. That counts. <laughs> and, I argue, and I argued in the Supreme Court once. Uh, it, it's outrageous, Mike. It's not even close. Yeah. I mean, the last one was outrageous. The last one was uh, something that scholars have debated for years. Can you impeach if there's no crime? And they decided uh, that they could, which I think is very dangerous and very bad, because there was no crime. Now, they're impeaching him for, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know what. And he's he's removed from office. Yeah. Impeachment exists for the purpose of removal. This would be like you have a trial for murder, and the person commits suicide two days into the trial, and then you continue the, the murder trial. Yeah, uh, it's ridiculous. It's a useless. It's a useless legal proceeding. And I know there are a couple of left-wing suck-ups that say, well, they can take away his ability to run for office. But that's not the purpose of the proceeding. That's a collateral consequence of it. Purpose of the proceeding is to remove someone for office. If you're removed from office, you cannot be removed from office. Could the attorneys for the president simply say, uh, it's unconstitutional. We file directly with the Supreme Court to have the whole process thrown out. Is, is that a maneuver that is even possible? There are several different choices that, the, uh, that you have at that stage. One, you could move to dismiss in front of Judge Roberts. He's the presiding judge, like you normally do at a trial. Yeah. At the beginning of any trial, civil or criminal, you always make a motion to dismiss, and basically it says the person hasn't charged anything. Hmm. Because before you can try me, you have to have charged me with something. So that would be the first motion. You didn't charge me with anything. You charged me with something that leads to removal. See, I'm removed. Goodbye. <laughs> or he, they could decide they want to go to the Supreme Court. They could take that right to the Supreme Court. Or if Justice Roberts disagrees, they could take it to the Supreme Court. Uh, now, if Justice Roberts agrees and throws it out, chance the Democrats will take it to the Supreme Court. And then we'll get an answer on, can you impeach a uh, removal, a president who's removed, or in essence, can you remove a president once he's been removed? I've read that speech that the president made on January the 6th. I've read it twice. I've watched his speech three times. If there is an incitement to riot, I, I guess I'm not smart enough to see it. Uh, but even people like Mitch McConnell have said that the president incited people to a riot. That just seems so far-fetched. He told them to peacefully uh, go to the Capitol. And there have been so many instances in uh, recent history where politicians have said, go to the Capitol. I mean, Cory Booker has said it. Kamala Harris has said it. All kinds of people have said, go to the Capitol and get up in the faces of your representatives. But the president certainly didn't say, go vandalize the Capitol, fight with the police. Nothing even comparable to that. So the basis of the whole idea of impeachment, even if he were still president, seems to be ridiculous. Right. You're, you're right. In incitement is a very specific and very well-defined crime. I believe the case is Brandenburg. And the Supreme Court made it very difficult to convict for incitement because it gets so close to free speech. You know, where's the end? When we get into politics and we get into major political issues, people get emotional. They speak sometimes in angry language. Uh, the question is, did that angry language lead to incitement? So now look at the crowd. I, I've watched it also four or five times. Plus, I was there. I gave a speech, and I was there live. The crowd was too cold to get excited. <laughs> I'm telling you. All they wanted to do, I hate to tell the president yeah. this, but when he got into the second half hour of the speech, all his big supporters that were sitting with me were saying, can we get up? And I was telling him, no, it'll look embarrassing if you get up. Not because the speech wasn't good. Yeah. The poor people were freezing to death. So I, I said some words that they want to use and misinterpret about having a, uh, a trial a trial by combat. I was talking about two machines yeah. having a trial by combat to prove that the Dominion machine. Well, I have to tell you, I'm not sure the audience even understood it, much less got incited by it. 
And the applause was something like this. Incitement is when the people jump up, they run out of the speech, and they go burn the house down. That's basically what incitement is. That your language was so powerful, that your language was so clear, that they just got the message and they ran right from there and boom. Now, they didn't even prove that a person from the speech went to the Congress. Remember the congressman who got up and said, can you name one person that went from Congress, went from the speech to Congress? Because you charged that in the impeachment. Yeah. Silence for a minute. There may have been some, but by the time they got there, everything had been done, which had been organized. It was organized four days before the speech by groups like Antifa and Gofar and two others that I'm not as familiar with. But I have the text inviting people there to cause trouble. Two different events entirely. Well, Mayor, it, it is always great to hear from you. And I appreciate your perspective because you were there. You, you know, and I hope yeah. that there will be wiser heads that will prevail in all of this. Uh, but it is important to hear from you. And I hope our audience will well, follow the mayor on social media at Rudy Giuliani. Also, take a listen to his show, Rudy's Common Sense. It's on YouTube and Rumble. You can also go to his website, RudyGiulianiCS.com. And if you happen to be one of those deplorables in New York and haven't left yet, listen to his radio show every afternoon on Talk Radio, 77 WABC in New York, or you can stream it online. Up next, actor John Schneider and Hope Dealer author Carlos Whitaker, plus country music star Tim Atwood honors a fallen Desert Storm veteran's family on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow @GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Welcome back to the show. Now, after a year of COVID lockdowns, my guess is you are probably ready to live again and travel again. With the expectation that the world is gonna be open for business by the fall, I wanna invite you to go with me to trace the steps of the Apostle Paul through the beautiful Mediterranean on a luxury ship just for those on our trip. World-class entertainment, Bible teaching, and unforgettable sights await you. October the 24th through November the 2nd. You can get all of the details and sign up while space is still available. Go to thegreatesttrip.com. That's thegreatesttrip.com. Now, all of you know John Schneider is the star of the Dukes of Hazard, as well as many other TV shows and movies, and as a top-selling country singer. He can do it all. I think it's kind of disgusting that one person can do all he can do. Well, now just so he can really make the rest of us feel bad that we're not as versatile as he is, he is writing and directing films. His latest is inspired by an American classic film. You remember Burt Reynolds' wonderful movie, Smokey and the Bandit. Here's a sneak peek of the movie, Stand On It. Are we really gonna do this? Yes, we are, and you should really sit still and low in your seat. Low like this? Yep, low like that.
All right, please welcome the producer, director, co-writer, and the star of Stand On It, John Schneider. John, I'm dying to know because that clip ended with the car up in the air. Don't go to the refrigerator now, right? Yeah, what happened? How did it land? Yeah. Hard. <laughs> hard. It landed hard. It was, uh, it was great. It landed in sand. It was uh, a terrific thing. We had to try to recreate the jump from Smoking the Bandit. Yeah. So that's what that is. I love your glasses, by oh, the way. Oh, thank you. You know yeah. what it is, right? What? I'm not trying to rock a fashion. You're I've had a, no, I've had an eye infection and I can't wear my contacts. Oh, oh okay. Everybody thinks I'm cool. You're very I'm, cool that way. Honestly, yeah. I think I'm going to start wearing them from now on because I've had so many people that said I'll look younger. I'm going to start wearing three pair of glasses on my head at one time. That might take 30 years off my body. Yeah, but if you can see better, that means I look older <laughs> from, from your end of it. From oh. your end of it. No, I can't wait to see the movie and I really am interested. Now tell me, promise me, you didn't do the car stunts in that movie. Just tell me you didn't. I did the car stunts, but I didn't do that car stunt. I was not, uh, I was not driving the car when it jumped over the river. Because I'm thinking no insurance company in the world would insure you if you pull that off. You can just stop at no insurance. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, it was great fun. I'm a, a huge fan of Smokey and the Bandit. Who um, isn't? Yeah, right? I was uh, 16 years old when they were shooting that film in, uh, in Atlanta, right around the Atlanta area. Uh-huh and heard about it, so I, I skipped school and uh, snuck onto the set, tapped an assistant director on the shoulder and said, hey, I'm sorry I'm late, but traffic on I-85 is a bear, wears hair and makeup. You, you actually did that? I did that. At 16? At 16. That is bold. Well, I'm impressed. Know, I did, and I'm still, <laughs> I'm still stretching the truth, you know, a bit here and there. But uh, I got in hair and makeup. They got me a breakfast sandwich. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if you don't do it, nothing will happen. That's, you know, the, the, the surest way to fail is to quit yeah. or not start. Good point, right? good point. So you've got to start. You've got to go for it with everything you've got. If you don't believe in yourself, who else is Okay, so you go through hair makeup and get a sandwich. Yep. you get in the movie? I'm, I, I, when they freeze frame at the end, Jackie Gleason's tire falls off his car and hits uh-huh. this tall kid with a black cowboy hat uh, in the crowd, and then the, the frame freezes and they roll the credits. That's me. So that's You're that's, the kid that got hit by the tire? I'm the kid that got hit by the tire. <laughs> Two years before Dukes of Hazard, But I spent, <laughs> right? Crazy. I spent all day uh, uh-huh. with Jackie Gleason. With wow. the great one. So I spent all day, and he was sitting there. He had a kid with a red wagon, a radio flyer wagon that was full of ice and a, and a keg of beer. And he'd be talking to me, and he'd, he'd be looking at me, and he'd finish his thing, and he'd go like that. And the kid would take the, take the mug and fill the beer back up. And the only, reason, the only reason we hit it off is I'm from Mount Kisco, New York. So I'm from Westchester County, New York. Uh-huh. And at the time, Jackie was living in Peekskill, and I knew that. So he was like 15 miles away. Yeah. So I said, uh, so Mr. Gleason, you've, have you been to the elbow room late? I just dropped, you know, people drop <laughs> yeah. politicians' names and famous people's names. With Jackie, all you had to do was drop names of bars. <laughs> and uh, he said, kids, sit down. So it was, it was wonderful. 
So I met Buford T. Justice before anyone had met Buford T. Justice. And this was all, obviously, before your own stardom happened with Dukes of Hazard. It was, Was yeah. that an inspiration for you to want to be an actor? Did that have anything to do with that? Or did you already no, want I, to do it? No, I started at eight years old in community theater. And, yeah? and uh, I learned, as cliche <laughs> as it sounds, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Mm. So Jackie knew I didn't belong there. And he said, I won't tell anybody. He knew he said, you weren't supposed yeah, to Yeah, he said, you're not supposed to be here, are you? <laughs> and, and I said, well, I think I am. Well, years, <laughs> years later, years later, Burt Reynolds uh, and Hal Needham, who wrote and directed Smoking the yeah. Planet, became very good friends of mine. And both of them, when I, when I met them, uh, they, they knew about Dukes and stuff, uh -huh. but they both said, you were that, you were that kid. <laughs> <laughs> that nobody could figure out why you were here. Oh, that's so funny. And Burt Reynolds, you know, the biggest star in the world, Burt Reynolds said to me, he said, no wonder you're famous. <laughs> You've, and you did that. He said, that, that, was, that was great. So, you know how many kids are going to skip school, go to a movie set, and say, where's right. hair and makeup? Give me a sandwich. Well, it's already been done, pal. It's already been done. But uh, I tell you, Hollywood isn't making movies anymore. But you are. Tell us yes. this movie. Is it going to be kind of a, a takeoff on Smokey and the Bandit? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a tribute. So it's a movie that knows there was a movie called Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it starts at our big event. We do an event called Bo's Extravaganza. And we did it in 2020. And we made this movie in 2020 and two albums. Hmm. Because again... You can't, I, you can't allow someone else to get in the way of your dream. Yeah. Because one of these days you're going to realize you're at the end of the road and you don't want to say, I didn't become what I thought I could be because of so-and-so. Yeah. You know, the only reason you don't become who you think you are supposed to be is because of you. Huh. Wonderful so, point. So, and cut me off when I'm running out of time, okay? Oh, we, we I, were out of time several minutes oh, ago, okay. John. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> So in the movie, I get bet uh, half a million dollars that I can't. The guy says, I'll bet you half a million dollars against your truck. You can't go to Austin, Texas, bring back 400 cases of local beer back to Baton Rouge in, in uh, 24 hours. Yeah. And I say, that was a movie. <laughs> and it was a great movie, but that was a movie. And in the movie, it was 28 hours. Yeah. So we are a movie that is like Smokey and the Bandit, that is aware there was a movie called Smokey and the Bandit. It's kind of funky, isn't it? So, but it's worth watching. I mean, oh my, you've already, so much more than that. You have already made me want to see it because I love Smokey and the Bandit, and who didn't? And now everybody has got to see this one. It's called Stand On It. It is available for streaming at cineflexdod.com. So on your screen, write it down and order it. Up next, best-selling author of Hope, Carlos Whitaker, and country music legend Tim Atwood's heartfelt tribute to a United States veteran family. As Samaritan's Purse continues to bring life-giving help to families in the U.S. and all over the globe affected by COVID-19, I sure hope you will prayerfully consider helping them to continue their work by giving a financial gift. All it takes is a single phone call to Samaritan's Purse. Or you can go to their website. Because as COVID-19 and national lockdowns continue to ravage lives all over the world, your gift of any amount and your prayers can work wonders in God's hands to heal broken lives and spirits. 
On behalf of Samaritan's Purse, thank you and God bless you. My next guest, he's a former recording artist, a social media star, and he's creator of a viral video that got over 7 million views. He's also a best-selling author. He's got a brand new book. I love the title, Enter Wild, Exchange a Mild and Mundane Faith for Life with an Uncontainable God. Please welcome Carlos Whitaker. Carlos, welcome. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I think your story is stardom in reverse. Most people, maybe they are, you know, in the, the speaking business and they then say, I want to be a singer, and they yeah. come to Nashville. You were a singer, you had a music career, and you walked away from that so you could be a speaker and an author, but you come to Nashville. Yeah. You're absolutely. the only guy I know that comes to Nashville to get away from music rather than to get in it. I did it backwards. I did it backwards. What can I say? No, I, I felt. Uh, I had a great career in music. I was a worship artist with Integrity Music, was touring with Hillsong and Newsboys and Jeremy Camp, doing all the things. And God very clearly told me one day, Carlos, or excuse me, Carlos, because that's how God says my name. Um, <laughs> I'm glad God says it right. because Yeah, I yeah, because you would have messed it up, Governor. Pretty positive. I'm not Yeah, God. absolutely. There you go. But he, he told me to start speaking and start writing, and, yeah. um, and I did. And, and I'll tell you what, it was, it was a phenomenal transition. My very first speaking gig ever was in the White House. I was invited to come and do a devotional no for the President of the United States. And I was able to say that, you know, again, policies and procedures can get us only so far, but the blood of Jesus Christ is what's going to save our nation. And so I was able to say that. Wow. It was great, yeah. And that was my, that was my, that was my very first speech ever after I quit being a worship leader. And, you know, and it's so scary to, to be obedient to God when God says to do something really crazy like that. Uh, but he, he took me and he said, I promise you, even through the desert, no matter what, I will be there. And your obedience may be long before you see the abundance of it, but the abundance is coming. What a beautiful, amazing story, because yeah. you must have been a little nervous about leaving something that you were good at, something that had earned you a living and that you were comfortable doing, to do something you'd never done before. Yeah, I, w I was really nervous. You know, my father, uh, he, he was a preacher. Uh, he was a pastor. He's a Fermin Agustin Whitaker. He's a first-generation immigrant from Colón, Panama. He immigrated to the United States huh. in 1960 as a black man with $20 and a shoeshine kit. Wow. And he landed at LAX, Shine Shoes, and he's now Dr. Fermin Whitaker. Because in this country, we can do amazing things See, like that. that is the most you know, beautiful thing. We can do amazing things like that. Yeah. But, but, but the beautiful thing about his story is, is I watched him for many years at Primera Iglesia Bautista be the pastor. He would preach his sermons in English and in Spanish, translate himself. Uh, and every time I'd watch him, Governor, I was like, you know, this is really impressive that he can preach in two languages at one time. Yeah. But as a little kid, I just thought, this is twice as long of a sermon <laughs> as I've ever heard. And I just kept thinking, I don't want to do that. So I went, I, I went straight to music. I was not going to be a preacher. Uh, but you know what? The preaching was inside of me. And, uh, and, and I love being able to be a, well, I like to call it a hope dealer. And just dealing hope to whoever will listen. Whatever administration's in the White House, left or right, up or down, I don't care who it is. I'm just going to tell them about the power of Jesus Christ. Because your message is the same. It doesn't matter what's going it on in the world. It doesn't matter, yeah. Let's talk about the, uh, I love the title, Enter Wild. Yeah. Where did you come up with the title? Yeah, Enter Wild. You know, uh, exchange a mild and mundane faith. Yeah. For life with an uncontainable God. Which I love that phrase, an uncontainable God. Uncontainable God. God. You, listen, we've got a God that does the impossible. But far too many Christians become Christians and then they end up getting to about 60% healed and they stay there. But when you look at John 10.10, 10, 
John 10, 10 does not say a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to 60%. That, that, that's not what it says. <laughs> no, it, it says, doesn't. It says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. But mm. so why in the world would Christians live a mild faith when we look at the life of Jesus and he lived a wild faith? Mm. And if anything's happened in 2020, it's got so many Christians to retreat and say, you know what? As soon as all the craziness happens, the elections over, all this, maybe I'll start stepping out there. No, we are called right here and right now to be wild. Wild Christians, wild for the kingdom, and wild for Jesus. What a beautiful picture of what it means to just recklessly follow God with reckless abandon, which I love that idea. And that's really what you're talking about in in, uh, the idea of enter wild. Don't hold anything back. Leave it all on the field when you go out there to play. Leave it all on the field. We we actually aren't, we, we don't have an opportunity anymore. I mean, right now in the climate where we're sitting in right now, it is the time for Christians to be the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus and of hope and of positivity and of unity. And that's what we need to be striving for. And so I'm just on a daily basis, even on my social media, trying, you know, I, I, what's beautiful about where I sit in social media is 50% of my audience is conservative yeah. and 50% of my audience are liberals. And they come together to have hard conversations in a way that I believe is hope-filled because it's all based in Jesus. No wonder it's wild. That's wild, the fact that he gets them together. Look, I want you to know about Carlos Whitaker's book. It's called Enter Wild, available now wherever books are sold. You can also go to carloswhitaker.com on your screen. Find out about his other writings, podcasts, videos, and of course, more. Check him out on social media for great videos to enrich your life, your walk with God, and he's got some that are just hilarious. Social media star he is. Next, country music star Tim Atwood shares the memory of a heroic veteran on Huckabee. Welcome back. Hey, could we give a nice hand to Trey Corley and the Music City Connection tonight? Well deserved for sure. Well, country music legend Tim Atwood has racked up over 8,000 performances at the Grand Ole Opry. By the way, that is a lot. But greater than Tim's love for music is his admiration and respect for U.S. veterans and their families. Four years ago, Tim was given a veteran memorial bracelet by a fan. That fan had worn the bracelet for 26 years, honoring the heroic soldier, Captain William D. Grimm, who died during the Gulf War. Now, tonight, we are joined by members of Captain Grimm's family, plus the man who has connected all of us together, Tim Atwood. Would you make them all feel welcome, please? Great to have you guys here. I feel like we're so spread out because we're trying to socially distance and all that stuff, but I I just think it's a terrific thing. Tim, when the fan gave you the bracelet, what was your reaction? Just, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, she had told me the story of of Captain Grimm, and uh, she had worn this bracelet nonstop for 26 years, and I was doing a show, and she heard me do the song with the emotion and, and the patriotism, and she said, I've wore this for 26 years nonstop, but I want you to carry on with the story. 
And uh, she said, uh, if you'll put this on, and I've worn it uh, nonstop for, for four years, just being a little part of that history of, of Captain Grimm. And today, this very day, 30 years ago, was when Captain Grimm lost his life in service to the rest of us, service to this country. So fitting that you should be here. Now we have with us Stephanie, Liz, the daughters of Captain Grimm, and his brother James. How did you connect with these guys? Well, we did research on uh, Captain Grimm uh -huh. and uh, found out he was from uh, Kansas State University. And uh, we just researched it out and uh, wanted to return this, even though, just give it to them uh, forever. But uh, that's Roxanne, my wife, did all this. She connected everybody and uh, we all got together and uh, wanted to present this bracelet to them tonight. Now, Stephanie, when you first got the contact and found out that your dad's bracelet had been worn for really 30 years, first by a fan and then by Tim Atwood, did you say, ah, I don't know about that? What was your reaction to that? Uh, I think a little bit of shock at first, but um, I actually didn't know that the bracelet had existed. And so it, you know, brought around all these stories. And, yeah. and it, I know it was just really great to hear that other people out there cared about my dad and that knew about him. And you, and you were like two and a half when he died, right? It wasn't quite two yet. Not even two. Yeah. Liz, you were six months, something like that? Uh, only a couple months old. So yeah. both of you it's... never really had any memories of your father other than what people told you, I guess. So mm -hmm. what did they tell you, uh, Liz, about your dad? Um, yeah, so growing up, I didn't have a ton of stories. I was able to talk to family members a little bit, but this whole experience of um, coming out and being with all these people has opened up a lot more discussion about, which has been really great because I'm hearing some stories that are familiar, but a lot of new stuff as well. And it's just been good to be able to feel that little bit of connection again. And James, I'm just very anxious to hear. Your brother goes to war. He doesn't come back. I'm sure that was the worst day of your life when you got that news. It was one of the worst ones. I, I was actually on in the Air Force at the time, stationed at, at a Kirtland Air Force Base, and I remember watching the news, mm. you know, the daily things. And then I can't remember who actually called, whether it was his wife, Natalie, or someone else called and, yeah, got that call. And I remember walking home almost in crying and just, I mean, it was an emotional day. I, I can't even begin to imagine how tough that is. I, I know your dad, who, uh, uh, you know, would love to have been here, but health issues yep. made it impossible. We have a, a brief little video from him. The closeness of the memory being on your wrist. And I think that's what Tim is also uh, has felt wearing it all these years from when it was presented to him. It represents a person, a person's life, a person's thoughts, uh, their goals, their their dreams, you know, that's that's what it represented. That's Jim Grimm, the uh, grandfather of uh, Liz and Stephanie, and of course the father of the soldier that we uh, honored tonight, whose name did not get forgotten. And I think that's so powerful. Sometimes you see people with one of these bracelets and you wonder, do they ever stop and think about that there's a full family out there grieving and remembering? Tim, you've worn that bracelet for four years. A fan of yours wore it for 26. Right. 30 years ago today, yep. this <clears throat> patriot gave his life for this country. What is it you want to do with that bracelet tonight? Well, 
I like what, for 30 years it's been worn and his memory has been kept alive. And tonight I want to present it to his daughters. And uh, hmm. I just, I, I can't believe that I could be a part of such a great story. And I just really appreciate you and, and your family. And, and uh, so I want to present this. I'm going to give it to Stephanie. But uh, if I can get it off, weld it It on. really has been on there yeah, for has. four years, hasn't it? Steph, thank you. Thank How you. God bless you, honey. Beautiful. Huh. You know, Stephanie, I hope you and Liz can appreciate the fact that even though you never had the opportunity to know your dad, to play catch with him, to grow up with memories of him at Thanksgiving and Christmas, his life was a life well-lived, and it was a life that was given so the rest of us could enjoy our freedom. You guys made a sacrifice in giving your dad. The rest of us benefit from the extraordinary sacrifice that your father and all of our veterans make. A great reminder why this country is great, because people like your dad willingly served his country, even to the point of death. And James, thank you for your service to this country and for your brother's life and the great, terrific memory. Now, Tim, I have something I want to share with you. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Kansas State University was the alma mater of Captain William Grimm. Today, Kansas State University's president is Richard B. Myers, who is a retired four-star general who served as the 15th chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Well, on behalf of the Kansas State University and President Myers, they are honoring you with this Kansas State University Presidential Challenge coin. And they want to do this in honor of your work in honoring our veterans and their families. So, Tim, I'm going to present this to you. Thank you. Along with this commendation. Thank you so much. I think it's a, a pretty remarkable day to bring all of you together, but most of all to say, Tim, thank you for loving our veterans and honoring them in every show that you do. And Stephanie, Liz, James, thank you for being here and letting us love on you a little bit for the sacrifice of Captain Grimm. Keith, I know you have something to tell us. We're going to let you do it. Well, you can find Tim Atwood's new album, Who I Am, anywhere music is sold, or go to his website for all his music and more. That's timatwood.com. After the show, you can watch online exclusive performance of Shorten and Bread Rock from Tim Atwood's Who I Am. Coming up, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, along with Mike on bass, perform with country music star Tim Atwood. Stay with Huckabee. And now here to perform you first off his album, Who I Am, is Tim Atwood. Thank you, Keith. I want to do this song in honor of the Grimm family and every other person who had lost someone uh, in the service and thankful for our American servicemen and women. And uh, especially for them, I want to do this song called You First. River looked much 
much wider than it ever did before. Even though we crossed a hundred times or more, we were scared, but we dared each other. You first, and I'll be right behind you. You first, I'll meet you on the other side. The nature of a hero requires a leap of faith. You'll find out what you're made of when it's your time to say you first. A chopper drops a ladder in the middle of the war. Sergeant said there's only room for just one board. Two wounded brothers, one says to the other, you first. And I'll be right behind you, you first. I'll meet you on the other side. Find out what you're made of when it's your time to say you first. Now I'm standing over you all the years that we've been through. I thought it would be me. Never thought that it might. Verse. 